Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. This is Andy Brown from London. And you're listening to the Totally Amazing Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Andy, from London, who is no doubt complaining about the weather like Catherine was when she first arrived back because it is cold in the UK at the moment and it has been raining cats and dogs here in soggy Solihull. Uh, but Matt is in Malaga. He doesn't care about any of that. He's been watching day one of the Davis Cup finals. Um, am I right, Matt? Is the sun still shining there? Yes, I went for a little stroll around town in my shorts this morning. Oh, wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, Andy, uh, for introducing this show. You, you've got a fact, haven't you, about Andy? I do. I know that Andy is a Reading fan. Oh. Mm. How do you know that? He told me in his email when Aww. he sent in his intro. I'm always really surprised to discover that there are other Reading fans in the world. <laughs> like, it's not, you, you don't find them very often. I've never met another one. <laughs> I don't think. Like, there are no celebrity Reading fans or anything. We've, I mean, Scylla Black had a, but, but she was going out with John Medeski, the owner <laughs> at the time. So, you know, it was a, it was a proximity thing. It's not a glamour club to support if there are any other reading fans out there and you are a celebrity well there are david it's not just me and andy <laughs> do get in <laughs> touch uh anyway uh marvelous andy thank you very much and if you'd like to introduce the show uh you can do so the link to become a friend of the tennis podcast at that level is in your show notes we are here to talk about davis cup finals day one and it has been quite dramatic and quite quite emotional. I'd forgotten how emotional these competitions get, which I really shouldn't do, given that we had the Beijing King Cup finals just a week ago. Um, but my word, did they go for it. The Aus Australian and uh, Dutch team, Australia against Netherlands, was the first of the four quarterfinals. And I have to be honest, even though we've been talking about it in the last couple of shows, it still didn't really strike me that the Netherlands, if they didn't win that second match, were out of the whole thing and going home. I'm, I, I, there was a moment where Lee Goodall in commentary just said, and by the way, don't forget, he's got to win this set or they're going home. And uh, 
that suddenly put a totally different slant on everything and an urgency and a, and a realization that what was a, a really good pocket of uh, orange shirted fans were going to have their week ended uh, if they didn't pull their fingers out. And sure enough, it was over. But Australia won it 2-0, but it was anything but 2-0 in terms of field, Catherine. Well, I I thought that that moment, David, that you just described in commentary, you know, it's pointed out the the stakes of the upcoming set. That moment really put a nail in the coffin of round-robin tennis for me in my head. And I know that, you know, there are there are moments in round robin tennis where you think, oh, okay, this is this is why round robin is a is a good thing. But it the 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 not having to worry about permutations, the ultimate stakes, the ultimate caring uh about what you were about to see. You can't beat it really. Um and I know there's no way to have the best of both worlds, but um, I loved how how high stakes it all felt today. It really felt loaded and sort of ripe for drama from pretty early on today, I felt. Matt, how did it feel to you being there? I completely agree. I think it was the best day that I've experienced at the new format of the Davis Cup finals and the new format of the Billie Jean King Cup finals without the host nation playing. And I say that because there was a really good atmosphere in the stadium, helped by the fact that, as you said, there was this extremely large contingent of Dutch fans courtside uh, in their orange blazers and with their musical instruments and just determined to make a lot of noise. And I know that the Dutch Federation had done a lot of work in trying to get Dutch people already in this community in Malaga to go along, but also to get some tickets to students and the sort of fans who are prepared to have long days and spend a lot of time supporting. And it it really worked because they created a Davis Cup atmosphere whenever a Dutch player won a point, they were on their feet, they were singing, and it just elevated the day entirely. Um, And it just gave it a really good feel. And I wasn't necessarily expecting that because I said on the Billie Jean King Cup shows, I wasn't surprised by the crowds being low because I've done a few of these now. And that's that's been the situation. Whereas today I was surprised in a really positive way, in a really good way, because the crowds were great. And um, I completely agree about the high stakes as well. You know, uh, both matches were tight. They were both won by the player who lost the opening set. And it was just two great battles, quality tennis, didn't go down to a deciding doubles, but I don't think anyone really felt short change because they'd had really close singles matches and and six hours of tennis. So yeah, it was a it was a good day, I would say, for the sort of new format of the Davis Cup. I can concur that the only person that was feeling short change was the one who predicted that Netherlands would win the whole thing <laughs> in today's newsletter about three hours before they lost. Uh, that was me, everybody. And as you know, I also predicted that they would obviously win this particular tie in the doubles. So none of that happened. Uh, but then, you know, after a thousand plus episodes, you've become quite accustomed to that. 
What I want to the, the match that David predicted they would win did not even happen. <laughs> <laughs> not ending twenty twenty two. Predictions a, low. It's not really a a, a glorious end <laughs> to twenty twenty two for me, is it? Um, Matt, explain to me where Jordan Thompson came from because we were not talking about him <laughs> last night. No, that was news to me as well. <laughs> I woke up this morning and thought, huh quite a lot of what I said on yesterday's podcast is incorrect because Australia don't have a team of four they have a team of five because Jordan Thompson was added was added quite late yesterday my understanding is that Hewitt was choosing between Jordan Thompson and Jason Kubler right up until the last minute and he had a sort of training camp going basically De Manor was there Kubler was there Thompson was there the doubles players were there and he just made a sort of last minute decision and decided to bring in Jordan Thompson and then of course not only did he bring him into the squad he picked him to play the opening singles today ahead of Thanasi Kokonakis and he explained that decision in his press conference as basically he felt like Thompson's in better shape really and is sort of better able to fight through a long match which he thought it could be and obviously that ended up being a a good call because Thompson came back from a set down to win and it was a grueling physical match and I just think not that Kokonakis isn't a fighter and isn't um, you know physically fit but those are Thompson's main qualities really and I just think Hewitt trusts that sort of player in this environment and therefore it seemed like quite a good fit and yeah so Thompson went from not even being in the squad yesterday to being trusted today to to play the opening singles match it's it's quite a big big development in in just 24 hours he, he really nailed that didn't he Hewitt if you if you think about I mean I, I maybe his you might say oh well he's he's saying that because his man has just proved exactly what he uh what he thought ahead of time or, or or it's a good story. But I believe him. I don't see why he wouldn't put him in otherwise, would he? Especially when he's he's a less sort of celebrated singles player than Kokonakis overall uh, in terms of high points of their career, I would say. But just watching the match, that's exactly how it played out because he was an inferior player in that first set, not just on the scoreboard. I mean, he could have, he could have lost that much more comprehensively, Thompson, for a start. He was shanking the ball all over the place. He was putting it in the bottom of the net. He looked like he looked like he'd actually been drafted in last second off the beach somewhere when he wasn't expecting to play. And he was completely out of any rhythm. Meanwhile, Greek Spore is hitting the living daylights out of the ball and looked like he's just going to dominate the match. And bit by bit, Thompson got a foothold, Catherine. And then, I mean, by the end, he just... One bloke looked like he'd got a full canister and the other fella looked like he was just on the, in the red zone and hanging on. I, I think that match was about as big a vindication of a, a captain and, and their captaincy skills as you can get, really, because, um, yeah, as Matt's just explained, the, the reasons Leighton Hewitt gave for making that call and it is... Those are the precise reasons why Jordan Thompson won that match. He was bad in the first set. I thought it was, you know, 
it looked like it could end up being embarrassing and it could be a very uncomfortable press conference coming up for Leighton Hewitt. Um, and it turned out to be the total opposite. I know these are the sorts of decisions where the line between glory and humiliation are is so, so fine, isn't it? It's like going for a second serve ace, going for a first serve on the second serve. You make it and you're a hero, you you miss and you're an absolute fool. You, you know, if that had gone wrong for Leighton Hewitt, you're going, what on earth are you doing? Just don't overcomplicate it. Just pick your best players. Um, but I, I thought it was such a vindication. I mean, I've I've always felt like he is just made to be a Davis Cup captain. Um, and But I, I also always think, you know, with Davis Cup and Billie Jean Cup, that sometimes the captain's roles are um, or can be over-egged a little bit. You know, a lot of the teams can pick themselves. You know, you've got great players. You, you put them into play. They do the job for you. Great. Easy, lovely job. Um, but it is situations like this where they prove their value. And uh, I, I found it a really fascinating added facet to the um, to the tie today. And, and I, I do think, though, that Greek Spore should have won that match. Like, he was the better player and there was just so many opportunities for him in that second set to get the break. And Thompson just kept saving break points and coming through these really grueling, epic games. And I think that had the effect of not only helping Thompson in the moment, but sort of taking Greek Spore's legs away a bit for the third set in the end. But Greek Spore was the player that left the bigger impression on me as a as a player. You know, if I think back to the match the points I enjoyed the most were the ones that Greek Sport played. And he's got lovely technique. He, he almost falls into the category of why is he not better than he is for me, Greek Sport? Because he, he's kind of got all the shots. He's got a nice slice backhand as well. Um, and yet there's clearly a little something missing. And he didn't take those chances when he had them. And Thompson just persevered. You knew he wasn't going to go away and he took his chance at the end of the second set and then was probably the better player in the third set. But, um, yeah, I do think Greek Spore will really regret that second set because there were there were just so many, so many chances for him to uh, win that in two sets, to be honest. They were astonishingly, astonishingly similar matches, weren't they, these hmm. two? Because you then had... Alex Dimonor come out, and he would have been, I don't, I don't know whether I'd say heavy favourite against Botic van der Zanschkop, who's had good results, but, um, and, you know, is the higher-ranked player of on the Dutch team and everything, but I still felt Dimonor was was a favourite, and yet Botic van der Zanschkop won that first set 7-5. I mean, he really hits a clean ball, doesn't he? He's When he's on, his timing and the, the way the ball just pings off the racket is uh, is something that Dimonor doesn't have. He He's muscling the ball. He's uh, sort of heaving it and giving everything he's got into every shot, whereas it looks easy on the other side of the court. And so that first set 7-5 to the man from Holland and second set was pretty comfortable for Dimonor, uh 6-3. But then that third set, 
a little bit like you were saying, Griksbor should have won that second set and had all those chances. The same was true of Ander Zanskorp, wasn't it? In I think it, I think he got to to four games all, and there was just the most incredible game. And 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 there was a moment where you you messaged me and you said, "Are you seeing these backhands?" And Unfortunately, I was dealing with a technical difficulty on my phone at that point, and I couldn't I couldn't watch that game, and I was gutted. But tell me about it. I saw the backhand. Oh, come on, Catherine, tell me all about it. Are we talking about the two backhand passes, Matt? In in successive points, both mm. up the line that left Dumanor sprawled on the on the floor. I mean, I was I was considering just starting a new backhand list and just putting Baltic van der Zanskulp at the top of it. They were they were that good. It was gasp inducing, and and also in that game he played an incredible drop volley. He hit a pretty good tweener. Dumanor came up with some great lobs. It was it was amazing how they were able to produce their best tennis at the same time after almost three hours in the most pivotal game of the match it was just just what you want from a tennis match it was just an astonishingly good game if you can if you can boil a nearly three-hour match down to one game it would be that one and I would I would urge everyone to try and watch it if they can but then it seemed to break the spirit of van der Zanskul the fact that he didn't get the break he then played a pretty pathetic final game to lose it to love um but I agree. Before then, it had been a, a really good match and two players who have quite different approaches to the sort of on-court demeanour. De Menor is very intense, very passionate, and therefore he he feels like a Davis Cup player, doesn't he? I mean, he's he's literally got his number tattooed on his chest. You know, he loves this competition, whereas van der Zanskulp is much calmer and doesn't doesn't have a lot of energy on the court and yet he's actually really taken to this event as well i mean he beat bublik and he beat fritz and he beat uh, norrie didn't he in the in the group stage to get the netherlands to malaga and he played a really good match again today so i thought it was an interesting contest that kind of shows that there isn't one size fits all in this in this competition different Different personalities, different playing styles can thrive in it. And I thought it was it was a really good match. But ultimately, De Menor, he's now won nine of his last ten in this event. He's he's particularly good at, in Davis Cup and he and he just outlasted him. Just on the subject of um Leighton Hewitt as captain again, imagine if De Menor has a has a big drop off in form at some point and he is not Davis Cup team worthy on paper. How do you not pick the guy with the number tattooed on his chest? <laughs> like, that's, I don't know. Nathan just, loves that. <laughs> you can't have a guy, you can't be sitting at home watching on the telly with the number tattooed <laughs> on his chest. Hewitt loves Dumanor. Absolutely. They've got a relationship going back. A long time, haven't they? And Hewitt said that in this training camp I was referring to that they had just a week ago, Dumanor sets the tone there, you know, with his training and he pushes everyone to work that little bit harder and run that little bit more and train that little bit longer. And you can just tell that Hewitt 
loves and respects all that probably sees himself in in Dumanor and you know when they're sitting next to each other in in the press conference it just makes a lot of sense and I completely agree I just think no matter Dumanor's form Hewitt is always going to have Dumanor as his guy as long as he's the captain and that that level of trust I think between a player and a captain is is pretty vital for this competition. Uh, I watched the on-court interview that Dimonor did straight afterwards, and what they what they've created there, what they have created over decades, generations in Australia for representing the country in tennis in the Davis Cup, is I don't know whether I would say it's unparalleled, but I can't imagine a a better spirit and a better determination and dedication to the cause. I mean, Dimonor looked like he wanted to cry. He was so proud at having won through this really difficult match and and was just talking so passionately about this being the kind of the ultimate. I mean, both him and Hewitt come across as though what's been achieved today is ahead of anything that they've achieved in their singles careers. And um, and it was, I mean, obviously Hewitt's won, the, won this thing with Australia and he's won Grand Slams and he's been world number one and all that. But the, Dimonor just clearly gets it and and then you look up into the into their, their pocket of, of wider team support and if you wanted to just sort of define what the Davis Cup is and what team competition should be, it's that to me um and yet what what i find really interesting is that hewitt still has all that and yet he is kind of fiercely anti this setup generally isn't he i mean a few years ago when they first made this decision to do away with kind of the the general home and away now obviously that's some of that's come back in with the with the group stages that we've had in the earlier part in the year but i mean He's still managing to maintain his fierce passion f- for representing the country, even though he's made it quite clear he would. Because I, and I can particularly understand it for Australia because they, the chances of them getting a, this thing in Australia, I suppose, might be quite small in the near future. Anyway, hopefully that will change. If not zero, I mean. I think if we've learned anything, it's the importance of crowds and trying desperately to find a way to get crowds at the, to get decent enough crowds at the non home nation ties. And that would be close to impossible were Australia hosting. I'm sure that you'd be I suppose you'd make gains in the in the home nations ties I'm sure it would be an incredible atmosphere but it would be such an advantage um so that controversy would return and you'd lose so much in the other ties I don't know if it feels it feels impossible to me as it stands at the moment what do you think Matt Well you've both sort of summarized what Hewitt said in his press conference when I when I asked him about this, because I, as I said at the start of this podcast, I did think today was a more positive day than others at the Davis Cup finals previously. And I just wondered whether Hewitt sort of felt that as well, whether there was a bit of progress there, because I think he has basically accused this competition of selling its soul in the past. Um, and he really didn't engage with the part of the question that 
was positive and the idea that it was progress. And he just sort of stuck to the idea that he's lamenting the loss of home and away. He's lamenting the loss of five sets. And he said the chances of Australia ever getting this and being able to host it are very, very slim. And the other point he made, which probably is a fair point, is that one of the reasons for changing the format was to take some of the commitment away from the players. You know, before they were having to play four weekends spread throughout the year if they wanted to win it. Well, the format changes and the little tweaks that they've made now means that it's still three weekends. Like it's not that, it's not reduced that much. And I think the point he made is that it's also then particularly tough for Australians because they're a long way from home. You know, their season is sort of spent more on the road than anyone else anyway. And at the end of the season, it's just it's just extremely tough for them. So I completely agree that it's kind of fascinating that despite feeling all that and having all those negative thoughts about the competition, he's still able to put them to one side when he's captain and when he's on the bench and just give his all for the team and motivate his players to give their all as well. It's it's quite an interesting balancing act that he's doing there. But, you know, he just he just loves representing Australia and the competition and the that element of it so much. And, you know, he said, I would be captain of a competition if we were just rolling tennis balls on the court. I just love... <laughs> I just love representing Australia and and the battle so much, and that all comes through, and it comes through in his in his players and team selections as well. It's a balancing act. I really respect, really, really respect. I I, I respect his opinion on the Davis Cup reforms. I don't share all of them, but I I think he's you know he's got very measured and considered reasoning for it, and I respect that. But I. I also respect not going, oh, well, I'm not going to bother then. Yeah, he if wants to win. It's not going to be exactly how I want it. Yeah, it, it's this is how he represents his country. You know, it's not how we'd ideally like it to be, but this is the way and I will do it no matter what the way. I've got so much time for it. Mm, yeah, me too. And I think not to, well, I am going to sort of <laughs> accuse a nation of not doing that, but it's just been interesting that, you know, I've been at the Billie Jean King Cup finals and now the Davis Cup finals in in the last couple of weeks. And France are not at either of those. And France are one of the biggest tennis nations. And I think they've been really annoyed by the format changes. And it does feel like they've thought, oh, well, let's not bother quite so much then. And I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily aim that at anyone in particular. It's just a general feeling, I think, in that nation and in some other nations that it maybe doesn't matter quite so much anymore now, whether that's players not committing to it or media just criticising it or fans not wanting to play it. Just the general feeling in some countries is so anti the new version that it therefore does sort of translate into performance on the court as well, whereas... As you said, I do have a lot of time and respect for the way Hewitt is balancing how he feels, but also still giving us all to the to the tournament. It's going to be interesting in a couple of days' time when the United States play because whenever I've spoken to 
kind of great former Australia, uh, American players, they've always said the opposite. I always remember there was a really good argument between Jim Courier and Leighton Hewitt about this because Courier was convinced that home and away had got to end because, because he felt nobody in America was taking any notice. And there, But an event like this where it all comes together at the end of the year was the way forward. And if you spoke to... Andy Roddick, he'd say the same, and Andre Agassi always said the same. So that very that was a very American approach. They they were supportive of this idea, and yet they also um, are, are here in force, just just as committed as as Australia are. And uh, you know, the, I don't see any American players not stepping up these days. And 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 actually, in the end, that's the that's the main thing. That's what I want to see. I want to see people going for it and and just either either come and go for it or don't don't do it what a good thing to say on billy jean king's birthday david yes that's her that's her mantra isn't it that's go right. for it and by the way just just on Leighton hewitt you know when you were saying you were he refused to engage with the part of the question that you you were directing him towards what in one way matt doesn't surprise me enormously. I, I've been around quite a long time, and in the twenty plus years that I've spent working in tennis, I have never met a more stubborn human being than Leighton Hewitt. I've never ever seen him back down or admit he was wrong about something. And look, I'm—I think that's one of the reasons he's one of the the most uh, successful players at kind of fulfilling what he's got, achieving with what he's got that I've ever seen. Um, and I'm sure that's why, because he's so bloody minded and he's going to, he's never, ever going to admit to anything that, and, and look, I, I believe he thoroughly believes in what he's saying anyway. But uh, crikey, you you try and have a debate with him and see if he can get anywhere. <laughs> I've had a go once or twice. I've got <laughs> nowhere. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Jordan Thompson and Alex Diminor gave them an unassailable two love lead. So it was a bit of a shame not to get that doubles though, because as we sort of kind of discovered overnight, I, I don't know how it passed me by, but we were in that stadium at Wimbledon when um, the doubles team of Max Purcell and uh, Matt Ebden won the Wimbledon title, weren't we? They were playing against Nikola Mektic and Matti Pavic. It was fading light. It was fifth set, and they won that. And I don't know why I had a complete brain blank when we were talking about it last night. I'd have loved to have seen them play in that doubles. Well, because they've not really done anything the second half of the season, have they? They reached the Australian Open final, uh, won Wimbledon, and then, you know, I, I covered the doubles last week uh, at the ATP finals in great detail. And it I didn't even really think about Ebden and Purcell and why they weren't there. Um, they, they can't have finished the year in the world's top 20 or else they would have been able to to play by virtue of being Grand Slam champions. Um, so I... I yeah, maybe it's the thing of um, maybe they fall into that uh, category of player that um, Luke Saville was telling us about, or was he telling us? Was he telling someone else? It's all a blur um, about the difficulty of being really successful of doubles, but your singles ranking not being high enough to get you into the same tournaments. 
um, that you're able to get into for, for doubles and being successful in doubles, preventing you from playing, qualifying at the next week's singles tournament. I don't, I, I don't know, but... Um, they were number 14 as a team, but uh, right. so I don't know whether they just don't have that rule for doubles, but looking at they, the... They do. Oh, look, maybe they don't. Looking at the individual doubles oh. rankings, Matt Ebden is 26 in the world and Max Purcell is 33. I don't exactly maybe know. they don't have that rule for the doubles. I will make inquiries. Yeah. We need to find about out about that. But but you're right. I mean, yeah. And I felt I felt bad. The same as you, David. I I felt bad that we had sat and watched that Wimbledon final and we'd loved it, hadn't we? That was a great Wimbledon experience. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about it. Um, just yeah. That anyway. Just too much. And we tennis. didn't get to see them today. They didn't get. They didn't get to remind us today of their existence. Poor old Matt and Max. We're, we're in late November. As Matt says, we've had an awful lot of tennis to digest over the last 12 months. I, I actually sometimes forget what happened in 2022 and whether it was this year, whether that was another year. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, what, what do you think, Matt, overall, your day one experience at the Davis Cup finals? How would you rate it? Positively, he's been out. He's been out in shorts, David. Of course, it's been a good day. <laughs> yeah, no, it really has been good. And um, one little nice thing right at the end was just seeing um, how appreciated Alex Dumanor is by the Spanish fans here, because obviously he's got a. I think his mother is Spanish, and she was here. She was in tears at the end. And he he gave some lovely words in Spanish to the to the crowd, um, and then I was actually delayed getting into getting into the car back to the hotel because Dumanor was sort of holding the whole queue up because everyone wanted a picture with him and and he was si- signing all the autographs and they were they were Spanish fans you know he was signing Spanish flags um, and I think you know that's a little extra edge that he maybe had today. That you know, he, he feels he very comfortable. Spain, doesn't he? he trains here, and I just think he's very comfortable in these surroundings as well. Um, so yeah, that was a nice sort of moment to sort of end the day, just seeing how appreciated he is and how much they enjoyed his performance today. And Australia could be facing Spain in the semi-finals because yeah, Spain... yeah, they might not be supporting him there. <laughs> That might all go out the window. <laughs> Spain are up against Croatia tomorrow. So I mean, what, what a tie that is on paper. The, the, the home team up against the, the number one ranked team in last year's runner-up. Yes, there are only six players at this year's Davis Cup finals who have won the competition before and they're all Spanish or Croatian. They're all involved tomorrow. Um, oh, that's a good line. Good stat. Yeah. Why? So there's um, Chilich, Chilich, Chorich, Pavic, Bautista Agu, Karenia Busta, and Granoyes. Okay. What? What? Who? Who do you think's going to win tomorrow in this match? I think Croatia are going to win. You You got them for the whole thing, haven't you, Catherine? No, I think Matt has. I did. Ho- I did hover on them. I thought the odds were were not great. Mm. Okay. For they were quite short, short, long. I don't really understand odds, but <laughs> the tennis I thought they were a bit. O- I, I thought they favorable. were a bit over over favoured. Who did you go for then, America? 
I went for USA, okay. yeah. So what have you gone for then, Matt? You've gone for Croatia. To, I've to gone beat for Croatia. We've done this thing. heck. Well, yeah. I mean, they've just got a stronger team, haven't they? They've got their strongest possible team, whereas Spain, mm. Spain haven't. But that being said, Bautista Agu, Krenja Buster, very capable probably of beating... Borna Cioric and Marin Cilic, they might get a boost from the from the home crowd as well. Um, it does start tomorrow at the exact same time that Spain are starting their World Cup campaign. It's a, Ooh. I think, or Ooh, more that's... or less within the same hour, I think. And I've I've been in a stadium when England were playing in the Euros last year, and it was a very strange atmosphere. It was on centre court. I was watching Federer. And it was a very strange atmosphere. People's minds were definitely sort of slightly elsewhere. So I do, I do wonder whether the football will have any sort of impact on the on the crowd initially tomorrow. I hope not, but it, you know, it might not. It might not be that surprising if it does. What, what, what do we think about the fact that Nadal is currently on an exhibition tour of South America? I was thinking about I, this. I today. totally respect Nadal not. He's got every right to not play Davis Cup to preserve his body, etc. Uh, at this stage of his career, and with all the injuries, many of them chronic, that we know he's managing. And I know exhibition tennis is not the same in terms of bodily stress as you know competitive tennis, but does make me feel a little sour. I don't know, eyebrow raisy about that i don't i don't love it anyone want to back me up so the the nadal fans don't come at only me I'm just, on the I'm, internet i'm just processing it because instinctively i feel the same um and the timing isn't good really it doesn't mm. you know if the if the exhibition tour was in a couple of weeks time or something like that i'd feel differently about it mm. um but but no i don't think it's not a it's not a great look. It's not a great feel. Uh, on on the flip side, I think you could certainly say, well, look how much he's already done for Spain and in Davis Cup and all that sort of thing. But I, my instinctive reaction is if if you're if you're an active player and you're fit and your country wants you to play, you should play. Yeah, and I think I'd find it easier to use the. Look how much you've done. You've earned the right to to decide not to play. If he were just sitting out on the sidelines, just fit, but just not up for it, I get that. He's thirty six. The being on an exhibition tour of South America, I I I don't. It does not doesn't great, feel it? great. No, it's not great. Matt, it's not great. Any any uh, thoughts? The same. Just a slightly slightly bad feeling about it all hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Just on Croatia playing against Spain in Spain, I am reminded that Croatia, when they won it a couple of years ago, they beat France away didn't they um which was which was a heck of a win for them yes that was when um i was at that tie wasn't i that was in lille and mm. yannick noah played jeremy shardy in the opening in the opening tie but rather than luca pui luca pui came out that day for the draw with a with a hat over his face and he was sort of clearly sort of hiding a little bit and he played Jeremy Shardy and it just did not work. And the Croatians just always felt like they were going to win that tie. Choric was sort of in his prime. Cilic was in his prime. And yeah, they they really dominated that that final tie. And, you know, four years on, they've they've still got the same same players and will hope, you know, be hoping to do the same to the home nation. Good player though he is. He just doesn't feel like the ace up your sleeve. Jeremy Shardy, does he? I think we called that podcast Noah's <laughs> Dropped a Clanger or something. <laughs> oh dear. I think that was when your dad became a Jeremy Shardy fan because he felt like yeah, we were being too harsh. Yeah, I was going to say, dad, we absolutely ha- I'll be getting a text about that comment any minute now. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, hist- history has proved me right. <laughs> Good player. But, you know, there are limits. Yeah. There are le- there are levels, aren't there? You know, the bottom line. Noah, you got it wrong. Sorry. Um, right. Well, we'll look forward to day two. And we'll have a, another tennis podcast for you after play tomorrow. Just before we sign off and uh, and run you through our, our mascot for this show and our shout-outs, I just wanted to make a quick uh, mention of Nick Bollettieri, who has been very very unwell um in recent weeks we've been getting updates from mary carillo and she told us uh, that many of his former students had been paying visits over the last few months and uh 
and it's a it's a tough time for for all of those who've who've known him all over the all through the years. I mean, he's I think he's ninety one now, um, and I just wanted to say I'm thinking of him. I, I worked with him uh, several years ago for BBC Radio, and uh, and you know loved spending time with him. And uh, you know it's it's sad news to to hear that he's been so unwell. So we'll uh, we'll finish there for the night. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. Our, uh, we do have a mascot for this particular episode, which is Nellie, who is owned by Mike and Kate Davis. Nellie is a working cocker spaniel, Catherine, who lives in Newmarket in, in Suffolk. Uh, she's two and a half years old. She enjoys marmalade on toast, visits from the Sainsbury's delivery van and striking fear into the hearts of local squirrels. Uh, current dislikes include any attempt at grooming, the application of eardrops and the extractor van. Nellie's shortly going to welcome two new baby humans to her home and is very much looking forward to the weaning stage in several months' time and Matt is holding up a picture of Nellie for Catherine to have a look at. Oh, she's beautiful. Look at that face. Do <laughs> that like works, Matt. Span. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's cheered she's Catherine lovely. up I love the, the name Nellie because I loved Nellie the elephant when I was little. Oh, Lovely. Packed a trunk and said goodbye to the circus. Wasn't Nelly the name of your air conditioning unit at the US Open because of <laughs> Nelly the elephant? Yes. Yes. Fond <laughs> memories. Goodness me. That's um, four years so, ago. Hello to Nelly. Marvellous. Lovely Nelly. Billie Jean will, if I, if I put this podcast on, she'll hear you saying squirrel, David, and now me saying squirrel. Uh, and she will go looking for squirrels because she knows that word. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well, we have our own Squirrel. mascots as well. As well, I've got Darwin, Catherine's got Carter, Matt's got the dearly departed Gerald, uh, Billie Jean the dog, who I assume is back home now. She's back tomorrow. Oh, back tomorrow. Okay. Uh, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. And as Catherine said, it's Billie Jean King's birthday today. Happy birthday from all of us. Happy birthday, Billie Jean. Can you believe that Billie Jean King is actually listening to this right now? I still can't. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, anyway, hello, hello, Billie Jean, and happy birthday. And our executive producers are Carl Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee, both top blokes. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We have Brangle Hunning in London. Bra- but say that again. Brangle is not the name of a Londoner. No, Brangle Hunning in London. Brangle Hunning. Got to be an American expat. Am- yes. Amazing name. I think so. We don't have names yeah, as Brits, good as that. Brits just don't come that fun. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's right. Needless to say, I have no tennis references, but I, I, it doesn't matter with Brangle because <laughs> it's cool on its own. Who else no, we got, Matt? Better to be unique. We've got Ian Peter Reed in Edinburgh. Yeah, that's a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> right, Ian. How's it going? Hello, Ian. I I'm I, I'm I can only think of Ian Barkley, the tennis coach of Pat Cash when he won Wimbledon in nineteen eighty seven as my tennis reference for Ian. Okay. I'm impressed. There's a reed, isn't there? Isn't there a an Australian reed? Yes. Matt Reed. Yes. Although that's um that's that's E I. This is double E. But 
Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well I, I mean, even so, I think I've done pretty I well I think there. we've done, as a team, Catherine, we, we've done all right there. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. We've got Katie, who is gifting her shout-out to her friend Louise Cap, because Louise was the first one to tell Katie about the tennis podcast. Oh, oh that's a, lovely. What a legend. Amazing. Um, Louise, well, she'll be delighted with this gift. Well, <laughs> well done. Louise, um, <laughs> Louise Fleming. Fleming. Correct. Yes. Australian... Former player and commentator. Thank you very much, Matt. Well done. Uh, and thank you both of you for being supporters yes, of ours and passing on word of the show. That's what you all need to be doing. Yeah. I've been saying tell your friends for years, and <laughs> but we've finally got two who've done it. Nice one, Katie. We've got Alison Hale in Ottawa. All right, Alison. Oh. Al- like Risk and Van Oetbank. Very good. And Alison says that her oldest clear tennis memory is watching Billie Jean King defeat Bobby Riggs on TV. Oh, wow. That's such a cool memory. Whoa. Wow, very cool, Alison. That's the best. Yeah. Very apt today to have your shout-out. And the final shout-out today is someone we've already mentioned on the pod. It is David Whittaker in Wokingham. Oh, it is. is it really? And he says, I'm on the boat. is he ever he is the boat amazing he's the skipper of the boat oh that's lovely hello dad oh have we got any Whittakers who are tennis players I can't think of any don't think so no no and if they were they'd probably be your your commoners Mark (laughs) Tootie Whittakers there aren't there aren't many of us one one tiers out there was that brilliant tennis TV presenter, though, Matt, mm. isn't there? I know her. She's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are there any David tennis players? Yes. Um, David Ferrer. David Prinisil, the, the German tennis player from the 90s. David, David Ferrer, does that count? Yeah. My dad actually is a very big fan of David Ferrer, or okay. was a big fan of David Ferrer. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Love David Ferrer. And isn't so he the tournament director of the Davis Cup Finals? Yes, that's right. I saw him the other day. Him and uh, Gerard Piquet hanging out. Is he, does he wear a suit? He I've does wear a suit. a suit. Yeah. I, can't, I literally can't manage, imagine David Ferrer in anything but sportswear. <laughs> get, get a picture, Matt. Get a picture for me and Catherine of David Ferrer in a suit. I want to see that. Oh, that that's not going to be creepy at all, is it? Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there's your challenge. Right. Okay, folks, bedtime. Uh, Matt's got to go and get himself up tomorrow for Davis Cup Finals Day 2. That's what we're all going to do as well. Tell your friends about the show um, because it works. We've had two on a shout-out tonight. And, um, yeah, thanks ever so much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 